Welcome to the worship service from Trinity Chapel in Seven Mile Ford, Virginia. Trinity Chapel is a small, traditional, and biblically-based congregation in the southwest corner of Virginia. The church pastor is the Reverend Bob Bierman, also host of Truth to Ponder, heard on this station. We invite you to be a part of our worship service today. To learn more about the church, its mission, and its vision, visit the website trinitychapelvirginia.com. That's trinitychapelvirginia.com. And now join us in the sanctuary of Trinity Chapel for today's broadcast. Heavenly Father, as we come to this time that we gather around your word, as I pray each week, would you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive all that you have for us. And Lord, may you open up our lips to share what we have learned with others. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. We've been going through the first chapter of Mark for the past several weeks. Starting out with John the Baptist meeting Jesus at the Jordan River, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and the beginning of calling of his disciples and going from place to place, people being healed, delivered, changed. We see it again today. He goes and visits a house. And Simon's mother-in-law is sick. They tell Jesus. Jesus heals her. And so what's the first thing this very ill and sick woman does when she's healed? Gets up and waits on them. Go figure. The earthly ministry of Jesus is kind of fascinating as he starts. He goes from community to community, town to town. One of the things that is kind of missing in some of this, and you'll read about it in other Gospels, there comes a point that Jesus sends out a bunch of people who have witnessed who he is and what he does. 30, they say 30 some odd pairs. Some say 72, some say 70 individuals. So it's, you know, 30, 31, whatever, it doesn't really matter. 35, 36 pairs. And these pairs of people were sent out to share the good news of the gospel that Jesus is here. And he tells that group, and we don't even know who that group is. Go to a town. If the Spirit rests upon you, stay there and enjoy your time there. If it doesn't kick off the dust and move on. And, and scholars will tell you those are the communities that Jesus ultimately visited as he traveled the larger region around as he was working his way toward Jerusalem over several years. What are the signs of Jesus? And, and we need to kind of put ourselves in a first century, even a 17th century mindset for a moment. Jesus comes to a town and people who everybody knows is sick or dying or in some cases already dead are healed. Get up, they walk. People who were we might call them blithering idiots, Tourette syndrome sounding, weird people, meet Jesus and all of a sudden they're normal again. Their minds are healed. Demon possession, 
you know, demon, Jesus in this one case didn't even let the demon speak this time. I didn't want to hear from you. Shut up. Because they knew who he was. And he had power and authority over people's health, their lives, and even the demons obeyed his commands. Because they knew they were powerless. The church today, I believe, I don't know what that is. I think we hit something. Go back one. The church today, I think, has lost a lot of its power. Some churches will use this term secession. You know, it has all ceased. There's no power left. Cessationism. You know, so it's an excuse that we don't have the power that God gave his church. I was thinking in the book of Acts, chapter, chapter 5. Now this is early on in the ministry of the church. This is after Pentecost. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick to the streets. This is, Jesus is now gone, and now we have the apostles. They would bring the sick into the streets and lay them on beds and couches that at the least just the shadow of Peter, Simon, who we just heard about, who becomes Peter, his shadow might overshadow them. And they were healed, freed of demons, just by the mere shadow of one of the disciples. I, I have had to wrestle with this one for years. And I remember, as I was mentioning at the beginning of the service, being at this little place in upstate New York. This is during the Jesus Revolution time. And, and this young Missouri Synod Lutheran boy, who had lived a very sheltered church life in his choirs and being an acolyte, and all the things that you did in these quiet, deeply respectful churches had never seen anything like what we see being mentioned in the gospel. We just, well, yeah, they happen back then. But we're modern today. Things like that don't, don't happen anymore today. We're, we're too sophisticated. A friend of mine and I were talking just the other day that it seems the, the more we think we are intelligent, the more we think we are wise, the more we think we are scientific, the dumber we really discover we, we truly are in the vastness of God's universe. And those that think that the hordes of hell are not after God's people, are not after destroying people and the nations, are deceiving themselves. They're alive and well and working overtime because they know their time is coming to an end. And they can do just like any Christian can. The Bible says, Jesus tells his disciples, look at the signs. You know the seasons. You know this will happen when that happens and the other happens. Be wise and know that you're getting closer as you see these events unfold. Now, no man knows the day or hour. And I would never even be presumptuous to say I would know the decade or century. I'm not even, I, I'm not even going to touch that. I know better. I've seen too many make that mistake. 
One of the first books I read as a young Christian really getting deep into God's Word was the late great planet Earth. Everybody, a lot of people my generation remember that book where because Israel became a nation in 1948, Jesus is going to come in 1988, 40 years. Ah, see? Had it all figured out. And he's still writing books. I don't get it, but I don't dwell in that neighborhood. I, I don't, I just know what I have to do today in the window that God has given me in his kingdom here now in the places that I've been and the work that God has called me to do. I recognize when you look at some of the things that go on in this world, the only thing that can explain the hearts of some people and the way they act is they it's not just their sinful nature. They have yielded themselves over to another power. Reading a story in the news this, this past week. A guy who happened to work in the prior administration was picking up his wife for safety reasons because Washington, D.C. is not a very safe town. And so he was picking up his wife at her law office. He was carjacked and shot and he just died yesterday, age 53. That same guy that did that carjacking had done four others and shot other people all week. Finally was caught up to in Maryland. Now, what possesses somebody to go kill somebody to steal a car for a joyride and then do it again and again and again all week? What possesses somebody to go into a small Christian school near Nashville, Tennessee and want to shoot little children? In anger. It's not just the heart of man. This is yielding your members over to things that the Bible has declared off limits. And yet the church has authority. True, and not the church, you, 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 all of us have authority. We're just, not, we're just afraid to use it at times. And I, I can understand. It's an evil world out there. I believe what we are seeing, if you go back to Jesus' time, the Bible is full of example after example of people possessed. Have you noticed that? In the New Testament, even the writings of the epistles, St. Paul, all of them. There's mention of all of this over and over again. Now, we could say, well, that's just how they assume things. No, I think... They had spiritual discernment. They were seeing things. They, they understood the root cause. We have lost sight of the root cause. It's easier for us to, what's the word I'm looking for? Pretend it's something we can deal with psychology. Something we can deal with just mere counseling. Something we can explain away. And yet, in my lifetime, I'm watching a change. Sure, I can remember as a kid the riots in 1968 in places like Newark, New Jersey and Watts and Detroit. But they pale in comparison to some of the things we've seen in the last decade. And we don't even fight back anymore. We just let it happen. How can that kind of evil, where does that come from? 
somebody wrote, and I had to think about this for a second. I, I have, I can't wait to meet my great granddaughter. That's a little over two weeks from now, and I am just can't wait to hold her for the first time. And Myla is, it's her name, is so much like her mother and her grandmother and her great-grandmother. Uh, I can already see it. Um, she has no problem making friends at age two. She spent yesterday at the YMCA that her mother, we made sure that she was there, learned to excel in life, become a gym, get into gymnastics, excel better in swimming after I taught her how to swim. It was a huge part of her life, and now she wants her daughter to be a part of that. And they had this kind of open house, open play for toddlers day and moms or parents. And so they went there, and, and I got videos of this little two-year-old just, just going here. She just loves everybody, wants to meet and talk to everybody. And, and there's a great picture of her holding the hand of her other two-year-old friend. They, they can't wait to go back. But you know, when children are born, this is a terrible thing to say. We love our children. They're so cute. But they're also so needy. They are the most selfish beings on the face of the planet when they're first born. And they let you know that they want something and they want it now. The thing is that supposedly we're supposed to outgrow that over time. We're living in an age where we have 35-year-olds that have not outgrown that. 40-year-olds that do not want to outgrow that. They feel that I'm the only thing important. And that's how you begin to open yourself up to those voices. Yeah, you're the only thing that's important. There's no God out there. You know, remember the old Schlitz beer commercial? Get all the gusto you can get. You only go around once. Get all the gusto you can get. We are seeing the bitter fruit of that harvest rearing its ugly head today. I shared with a friend of mine the other day as well. I had a, an English teacher in high school, the most unique. His name half the time escapes me, but I can see his face, the way he dressed, the way he kept his tie a little loose. We had, they wore ties back then. And, and the way he handled that class. I was a senior, and I had the option of taking this kind of experimental uh, English class, and you know, you're, you're going to pass it if you sh just show up and you can excel at it. And, and this was a little different than your normal English class. This was looking at contemporary literature, magazines, newspapers, things you see on television, and then discussing and understanding the content. And then how to debate and share what you believe with others. And he challenged us in this class like I've never been challenged before. This was definitely not doing a book report on a Shakespearean play. This was a different world with this guy. And, and I really enjoyed that. I, I never, can't believe I'm saying this, I really enjoyed that class. I kind of missed it when it was over because he was good and challenging. But he made a statement and he was probably in, you know, maybe pushing 30, his early 30s. He was fairly new at teaching. He said, he said, guys, gals, he said, I'm afraid with the world that I see, we've reached our pinnacle and it's all going to start going downhill from here. Educationally, morally, spiritually, and everything you can think of. He's telling a bunch of guys getting ready to graduate high school, your world's about to stink. 
And you, I mean, how encouraging can that be? And he said, be the ones that try to make the difference. You have the power of knowledge. And, and I kind of forgot it for years because I was too busy trying to become a disc jockey and have my great career. And, but over the years, every once in a while, I would think in that class where he had the desk in a circle and he'd walk in the middle of the circle and challenge us and we'd talk, that we'd have to get in the circle and defend our positions. It was a unique class. And I think back to those days now with what I'm doing here. We heard the line in our readings, have you not heard? Have you not seen? St. Paul goes, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel, because this is what I'm called to do. And Jesus says, we heard today, okay, we've done, we've done our work here, it's time to get up and move on. We have other towns and other places to go. Other sheep to come into my pasture. I don't think the disciples fully understood exactly what he meant by that, and they certainly did not envision a cross at the end of the journey. In their minds, they're waiting for some miracle to happen. I mean, they're watching all these miracles, and I'm, I'm certain that they're going, okay, Jesus, I see, I see you raised a guy from the dead. I see the lepers being cleansed. Uh, I, I see all this happening. I see demons leaving and going into pigs and jumping off cliffs. I, we see, when are you gonna overthrow the Roman Empire? I'm not. It'll overthrow itself, and it did. What killed the Roman Empire? Sure, they were a pagan empire, but they had, they, they were cohesive, they had science, they had intelligence, they had incredible engineering, they had built bridges and aqueducts that are still working to this day. Just like the French built levees in New Orleans that are still working to this day and the ones we built later don't. They had intelligence, they had engineering, they had goals, they had drive, but they had discipline. Now we can argue their paganism all day long. But eventually, their paganism became narcissism. Their narcissism became pleasure-seeking. Their pleasure-seeking meant we stop doing the work and we start farming it out to others. In their case, they farmed their army out to a bunch of Germans up in the northern part of Europe, and they paid them lots of money to be their army. And when they started going morally bankrupt, they started going financially bankrupt, and then they made the real mistake of trying to cheat on their coinage by taking some of the silver out and you know, putting other stuff in like lead, whatever, to fool. The German armies that they had hired weren't having any of it. And eventually they had no army to protect them, to enforce. They didn't care about their own constitution and values of citizen beings protected. And it all became literally the most immoral culture imaginable and it thoroughly collapsed upon itself, just like Greece did and others. We stand here in this church proclaiming the good news of the gospel, the captives being set free. People can come to a healing emotionally, spiritually in a place like this. There's a sweet, sweet spirit here. I love that song. I really do. We are the witnesses to the fall of an empire. 
it doesn't scare me one bit. I just know it's going to happen. Being forewarned is being prepared. I don't... I'm going to end it here today. I don't put my trust, as the psalmist said, in princes or the, or the sons of men. In other words, I don't put it in politicians or people. I put it in God. That's where my hope cometh. My help is in the name of the Lord, not in the name of some person. It's not in the name of me or pastor or anybody else. It's in the name of the Lord. And, and so I, I believe that my job here is to teach, share, encourage, bring others into the fold. I can tell you from experience, and I, I'm going to go back 25, 26 years, starting any church is never easy. In this age, even more difficult because people are, are less inclined they're already, like, vaccinated against it. They don't want to be a part of it. They had just enough to be not wanted. I get it. So it's not easy. A lot of people have various motivations about why they want to be in a church or not be in a church. And others are waiting for the church to be their servant and serve their every little women need. I, I, I can remember... I had made the commitment to move out of state to take over a little mission that is smaller than what we have here today. And we were in a little tiny room and they had been around for 20 years. And that's what they had declined to. Oh, woe is us, we'll never grow. We'll never have a building, we'll never have, you know. Well, we started to grow a little bit. Began to move forward. Now remember, I'm still new at this, so I had a lot to still learn myself. And I had this one couple that came they were excited for a while. And one day they said, well, this church is not growing fast enough for our liking. And there's a church of the same, you know, flavor, so to speak, just up the road about, you know, 45 minutes north. And we're going to attend there because they already have their nice building. They already have this. They already have that. So adios, have a great life. And off they went. Ironically, a year later, after they had left, we acquired a building, and we grew, and now suddenly my church, I don't want to call it my, our church, was bigger than the church that he had gone off to, building-wise, land-wise, and people-wise. And he wanted to come back to take his rightful place to be in leadership. I said, no, your rightful place is up there where you belong, and you can stay there. I've had others that say, I'd come to your church, but... You don't have any programs yet. And you, you don't have the facilities. And I, I said, well, where have you been going to church? Well, nowhere. So you haven't even invested in one, but you're, you're looking for one that somebody did the investment for you. Yeah? How do you expect a church to grow if you don't want to be in on the ground floor with what God has given you? Those that do that are the ones that end up in the biggest leadership positions in those church churches. I've seen that happen. I've seen some people grow in Christ that thought they had nothing to give. They ended up being the most incredible leaders of that church. And they were the most, they are still, many of them are still alive and around after 20 some odd years, still some of the most remarkable people that I know. And God has blessed them beyond their, their wildest imaginations. We may be small, but my God is big. We may be, we may appear weak on the surface, but there's a power in this word 
that can cast out demons and put them at bay. God doesn't expect us to do it on our own. That's the best part. God does not expect us to do it. He doesn't expect my wisdom, my strength, my abilities, my wisdom, strength, and abilities up against the hordes of hell today. I am outnumbered, and I wouldn't survive seconds in the ring. What does the Bible say? The battle is not yours. It's mine, says the Lord of hosts. You're out there, but I empower you. I will work through you. We have a job. And I never expected as I was preparing my mind for this message this week that I'd be sharing the news of the radio station is coming sooner than later. I thought I'd be talking about that maybe in the spring, maybe after Easter, at, at, the, at the earliest. But God, and I have filed applications with the FCC for over 35, 40 years now. I have never seen them move this fast, ever, ever. I've even had to fly to Washington for some big applications back when there were just a handful to help motivate them. Because, you know, nine months had gone by and nobody ever looked at it. And here, here it's been granted. Now, is there going to be some big monstrous ministry to reach hundreds of thousands or millions of people? No. But it's going to reach many homes and automobiles and businesses in Smith County. All within a reasonable distance of this church building. And my prayer with this station is to be a light in the valley that those find and, and maybe for whatever reason they, they fell out of favor or just don't, be, they're not being fed in their church, they're, they don't know where God's calling them. And they'll hear the music, the messages and the things that we'll put on that station, including this service live and repeated. And maybe those people who we need to reach will be reached. I know one thing, we, we've done some secular radio advertising to start this church. It was effective. And th but those were just a handful of 60-second commercials. Imagine when I have 24 hours a day, seven days a week with that signal going out. It's amazing where technology will close. I, should, I need to mention this. Back when I started in radio, you had to have a warm body sitting there in a room, spinning records and playing tapes. You, you, you had to be manned. Today, you don't have to do that. Today, we have computers that can run and fill all those hours, so nobody has to be sitting in a studio anymore. Sometimes, some of the radio stations you hear, you may think they're in a studio, but it's all been pre-recorded in another state, in another town. The guy that's the disc jockey just read all the little lines that go between all the songs that'll play later, and you think that they're there. He's really in Minnesota, or Florida, or Tallahassee. You never know. That's there. I know guys that are the disc jockey on 30 radio stations, and they do all the recording in two hours in the morning for all those stations, and they're done for the day. Then you hear them at noon, and the temperature is 75 degrees here in Tallahassee. Clear skies expected for today. He recorded that at 7 o'clock this morning in Minnesota for your station.
So technology can help us. We may be a little church, but we serve a mighty and large God. And I believe the, the, it, we, may, we may not be as big as some other churches in town. But there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and I never wanted to leave. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given me the privilege to lead this congregation and to bring these people here. And Lord, I know there are others that will be here that are not here yet, but your call is on their hearts, their minds. They will be here. They will be a part. I've watched you move and grow churches before. As you, by your Holy Spirit, calls those that you would have to be a part of this fellowship. And Lord, I hope that we welcome them with open arms. That we can meet their needs wherever they are. That they may experience the sweet, sweet spirit that is in this place. And Father, for all those in this church today, maybe suffering in body, maybe in mind or spirit, maybe a physical ailment, I would pray the great healer, Jesus Christ, reach down and touch their bodies, meet their need. Maybe there's depression, maybe there's concern, maybe there's worry, maybe there's division in households. Whatever it is, Lord, for those that are watching, for those that are here, meet their need. For those experiencing doubt and and haven't been able to decide what to do with their lives. Lord, illuminate them and illuminate their path. Your word is a light unto my feet, a light unto my path. Father, forgive us of all the sins, the things that we've done, the things we've left undone. Create in us a, a clean heart and a new spirit. And may we leave this place today with total joy and gladness. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the worship service from Trinity Chapel in Seven Mile Ford, Virginia. Trinity Chapel is a small, traditional, and biblically-based congregation in the southwest corner of Virginia. The church pastor is the Reverend Bob Bierman, also host of Truth to Ponder, heard on this station. We want to thank you for being a part of our worship service today. To learn more about the church, its mission, and its vision, visit the website, trinitychapelvirginia.com. That is trinitychapelvirginia.com. And we invite you to join us next week at the same time for another service from Trinity Chapel.